Now, screenwriter Tony McNamara talks to me about The Favorite, one of award season's most interesting and critically acclaimed films. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hey guys, I'm Christina Yerling Biro. So glad to have you with us again this week. First of all, congratulations are in order for our guests, screenwriter Tony McNamara and everyone involved with The Favorite for the whole slew of Oscar nominations that they received on Tuesday and all the other awards they've been picking up. The Favorite is certainly one of the standout films of the season. It's directed by Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos, known for his unusual and confrontational films like The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. The film is based on an early 18th century true story, but takes plenty of creative liberties to heighten the story of power and outrageous intrigue. It follows Queen Anne, played by Olivia Colman in an incredible performance. She's in poor health and in emotional turmoil after the loss of her 17 children, and she's also in the throes of war with the French. Her trusted friend and lover, Lady Sarah Churchill, played by Rachel Weisz, essentially runs the household and is in a great position of power. Their balance is disturbed by the arrival of Sarah's cousin, an ex-aristocrat Abigail, played by a terrific Emma Stone. And there begins a power triangle like you've never seen before. Dearest Queen, you are mad. Giving me a palace. It is a monstrous extravagance, Mrs. Molly. We are at war. We won! Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh! Oh, I did not know that. The Queen is an extraordinary person. They were all staring, weren't they? I can tell even if I can't see, and I heard the word fat. Fat and ugly. No one but me would dare, and I did not. She's been stalked by tragedy. Everyone leaves me. Dies. Historian Deborah Davis first wrote the script over two decades ago. But just some years ago, Lanthimos recruited Tony McNamara, an Australian screen and theater writer, to continue on Davis' original script structure, but move away from the more traditional period piece and bring it into this very modern telling. I caught up with Tony McNamara right smack in the middle of this award season, between critic awards and Oscar nominations. Mr. McNamara, thank you so much for taking your time with us today. Um, it's a pleasure. Now, I'm going to put all my journalistic integrity to the side and just say that I adore this movie. Well, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Before we get started on the movie in particular, I, I've been doing some research and reading and listening about you, and, and, and it says that you started uh, working in finance, you've worked in catering, and then following some episode in Rome, you decided to become a writer, and there's no follow-up to this, and now I have all these fantasies <laughs> about what the hell happened in Rome. So what happened in Rome? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I just spent like a week by myself after I was working in, the, in London in the city, I was very young. I wasn't like a high flyer or anything. And I got sick of it. And then I just wandered around Europe for a while. And then I ended up in Rome. And I think I was just writing a lot at the time with no particular point to it. And then, some, I don't know, something in me just went, well, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. 
it's become like the story that something actually happened, like you were run into <laughs> Fellini or something like that. <laughs> no, I think it was literally like enough time just spent by myself to actually realize what I, I actually wanted All right, rather right. than what I thought I could have. Well, the script to The Favourite was actually written 20 years ago by a screenwriter and a historian, I believe, Deborah Davis. You came aboard a few years ago. What, what is the difference with these scripts? What did you, what were you to bring to it? Basically, like when Yorgos, Deborah had written the script for a long time. And then I think when Yorgos came on, he, um, it was a very sort of straightforward British kind of uh, drama, I guess, like a normal period film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he liked the story, but he didn't want to make that kind of film. But he liked the story of these three women, and um, so. And then he just found he just uh, went looking for a writer who, who who he felt like could write the film in the sort of sensibility he wanted it to be. So, and after reading a bunch of stuff, he uh, found me and. You know, he we just talked about what sort of film he wanted to make and how it should be funny and different from all British period films, and mm-hmm. that was uh, that was sort of the beginning of it, really. And then we just spent he and I spent the next four or five years, or I guess six years on and off, um, just working on the script. You know, I would write write it in Australia and send it and he would give me notes and then he and I would meet up in uh, London. In Rome. Or Rome. Once Rome, yeah. Was, yeah. Actually. Yeah. We did spend a week in Rome working on it. Yeah. And that's how it worked. In terms of, of the research, I mean, I guess it's, uh, not everyone knows, but, but that Queen Anne was having an affair with, with Sarah, the Duchess of Marlborough and so on. But where does this research actually come from? How is it documented? Well, I guess Deborah had she's a, she documented some, and then it's sort of around. There's, there wasn't heaps. Hey, hey, there wasn't heaps of. I think that was the thing Yorgos and I found. No one really knew what happened between the three women in a detailed way. There was rumours about what happened, and the ultimate end of it that the Sarah was dismissed and the government changed that. Everyone knew the end of it and everyone knew mm-hmm. the beginning of it. But the, the detail of what happened between the three women doesn't really exist in a way. So we sort of made that bit up, you know, what happened once Abigail arrived and she was given a job, which was true. We just sort of made up the dynamic between the three and how it worked and how they, the whole thing unraveled, I guess. Right. But were there letters and things like that that, that you depict in the movie? Were, were, were that part of the research? No, we knew there were letters, but we mm-hmm. didn't have, we didn't read any or anything. We just mm-hmm. knew there'd been letters. So we used the letters towards the end because we, we read there were letters. So, mm-hmm. but we never saw any of them. I don't even know if they are around to be seen. I don't know. Right, right. Uh, um, so I think Yorgos used to say if people are going to this movie for a history lesson they're going to the wrong movies (laughs) right what i think is is fantastic uh, you know among other things about the movie is sort of the depictions of power and debauchery and 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 power in a bubble in a vacuum and it you know made me think of today and trump and all kinds of things but first of all what did you learn um working on this project uh about female power versus male power uh well i think one of the things we were interested in was that in this period, 
the, the, the you know, even though we sort of think of historically females very disempowered, and I guess in, in a society they are, but in this society they did have all the power and the men struggled for traction, which we thought was very interesting and, you know, funny. And so we wanted to depict that. And I don't really know what I learned about the difference. I mean, we always just tried to just treat – we didn't really think about it in a – we never really had very gender-based discussions about the movie, really, other than them as people and what drove them and what they wanted and why they were trying to get it. And that sort of drove us rather than an idea, an outside idea of how women behave in power and how men behave in power. We didn't really... I mean, I guess it's there in or the movie. Or how others treat we, them in power. Yeah, yeah, well, we didn't... Yeah, but we didn't... I guess we didn't consciously think about that, you know. I think as a writer, I'm always thinking in a really small character way in a way Mm -hmm. rather than epically macro or something i apologize for my appearance i hoped i might be employed here by you as something a monster for the children to play with perhaps it is important to make new friends in court is it not you're so beautiful stop it you mock me if i were a man i would ravish you (laughs) You have become close to Abigail. She is a viper. You're jealous. You must send Abigail away. I do not want to. Let's shoot something. (gasps) Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I must take control of my circumstance. Throw! I'm on my side. Always. Favor is a breeze that shifts direction. Right, right. And, and power, sort of uh, in general here, this is a group. One of the things that's interesting is that you never actually see the war they're talking about. You're not, it's very sort of yes. in a bubble. Tell me about how your thoughts on, on depicting that. Was it always that way that you wanted to stay in the castle, so to speak? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, we decided early on to get rid of. Um, the idea of I think earlier I think in the previous script the war and everything was a big deal and uh, you know and what it was about and and we didn't really care what it was about we just wanted it to be one of the, the what was going on in court and that was just we only used the war as we needed it to tell the women's story mm-hmm. we were sort of like it's all about the women's story and as much politics as we need to tell to help tell their story will take and it's and it's but also we didn't want to like do a history lesson about that particular war and what the issues were and so we really like tried to keep it really focused because we didn't want it to sort of blow out into you know a lot of period movies if they're sort of historical pieces of you know an actual history moment they're very detailed and often they get very bogged down in the detail that is isn't necessarily that interesting to a audience you know but right, they, right. you know the, they feel like they've got to tell the story with all the detail and we just I think we just didn't feel like we wanted to do that or we were interested in that but what I think it makes it interesting is that it it puts their power in a bubble they don't they're not seeing what's going on in their countries and with their people and which yeah. makes it even more insidious <laughs> yeah well we did want that we did have this idea that they were sort of you know, you're sort of trapped in your place, and that was part mm-hmm. of the whole thing for all of them. They're all sort of, you know, Anne's sort of trapped as the queen, and Sarah's sort of, she's the, probably the least trapped, but she's sort of trapped by her ambition and her fondness. So, and I guess, and Abigail's trapped in a low, you know, that she's 
trapped as a servant and has very little social mobility unless she can find a way out. And we wanted that's part of the reason we wanted to keep them all in the in the one place so because it felt like the pressure would build better right right um were you thinking i mean i know call call sagan i mean i guess everyone said it that you have to know your past to understand your present were you guys thinking about or the three of you thinking sort of about today and 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 power structures and what's happening in europe and and not not particularly i mean for us it was a real like yogas and i were always we really just felt we were really character above all else. We were really trying to tell a story about three complicated women and keep it as focused as possible. So we really, it's like the, you know, often now because it's three women and, you know, at this moment in time, the Me Too moment, it's like the movie has sort of hit the zeitgeist a little bit. Mm-hmm. But as, as he says, you know, he and I started like seven, six, seven years ago. So that's not in your head, you know. Your, your movie's just lucky when it comes out if it comes out at a time where it sort of dovetails with what's going on in society. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think that is also very interesting as a viewer watching this is you keep changing your mind about these women. You sort of understand them all at different points. You cheer them on all at different points. <laughs> how, how did you succeed with this sort of in your structure in the screenwriting? I think it was because... I, I I always wanted that that none of them would perfect, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a bad one and there wasn't a good one. Even though you know sometimes we would get notes about that, going who's the bad one, and we would go well there is no bad one. That they like they all behave badly and they all behave well at times. And and for me it's like writing it. I was like as long as you understand why they're behaving the way they are mm-hmm. and they're not a hundred percent anything. They're not a hundred percent. Sarah's not perfect. Neither's Abigail, neither's Anne. And it's a triangle. Then it felt like it would flip all the time and you wouldn't, you would sort of understand why they were doing something. So you would kind of forgive them their bad behavior a little bit, mm-hmm. but also want them to succeed on some level because you understood why. <laughs> And of course, these three performances are just, I mean, all the performances are good, but particularly the three women, um, how they just transcend everything here. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you'd say they just, but did you ever see how they actually worked on set together, the three of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was in, like, Yorgos is very, you know, he involves his team a lot. So I was on, I was in pre-production with him and then working on the script and you know dealing with budgets and how we had to rewrite bits to fit the budget and stuff and then I was in rehearsal for three weeks with all the actors so and then I was on set for a while so yeah I got to see got to see them work it was fabulous they're amazing tell me a little bit about the the women's process together well I think with only Yorgos film you're very much in his process Mm-hmm. So his three weeks rehearsal is very much about bonding them and them, you know, breaking down all sort of barriers between them so that they're very free when they act together. And they, they became very close, the three of them, and were fabulous bouncing off each other. And, you know, they threw themselves, you know, they're all great, sort mm-hmm. of lovely, fun people who, and, you know, I think because people want to, actors want to work with Yorgos and they want to go on whatever that journey is. So they just threw themselves into whatever he asked and 
you know, and they're super talented. So, yeah. and brilliantly comic. So for for me, it was you know, having written it, it was great to watch. You know, your words said by people. In terms of you talked a little bit about Yorgos and your process writing. How much of the film, when you guys are writing together, does he see already visually when you're writing on the page? I mean, how much and his, you know, different mannerisms things? Not really. He doesn't really talk visually that much about the film, about what it's going to look like. I mean, occasionally, you know, occasionally he'll go, it'd be good if he'll tell you how he wants to start and you, the scene, you know, visually mm-hmm. what he wants to see. Um, but, but he's not, not talking about he's not talking about the fisheye lenses and things like that already in your beginning of your process. No, no, not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, as the years went on, occasionally, you know, he would talk about how he might do it and things he was interested in. But it, but he changes all the time. Like you know, what he was interested in when we started as a filmmaker, and the, you know, is is quite different to where he ended up. You know, so you know, he's always evolving what he's interested in and how he's interested in shooting things. So the fish eyes came, you know, quite late and even on set, they ended up being used much more than he'd originally envisaged. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's the, uh, the use of a lot of modern language and a lot has been made of, of using the C word um, yes. a lot during the script. <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts? I mean, what, how did you guys think about using the language? Was that something you wanted to do from the beginning? I think, yeah, it was. I mean, I think he'd read something of mine where I'd done that, which is one of the reasons he liked the idea of me doing it. In a period um, piece. Yeah, in a period, in a play I'd written. So we knew we wanted to do it because that was, you know, part of what I brought to it. So, and then, you know, it was part of, the whole idea was that language, you know, I don't know how people spoke back then is my mm-hmm. argument. We assume we do, but. I, we don't. So, and I wanted it to feel content, a slightly contemporary, so it was more accessible to an audience, so that the language didn't make them go, "I'm watching something that happened 300 years ago." It's more like the language was a bit like us, and so it brought the audience a bit more inside the movie than kept them just watching a historical event movie. Mm-hmm. So it's more to get the audience in than actually making some sort of point that this transcends time or. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, for me, yeah, mm-hmm. it's very much so. It was very much like, how do I, I don't like period movies, so it's sort of like, how would I like it if they spoke? So mm-hmm. I would like watching it. Yeah, um, I think that's so interesting because both you and Jorgos have said that, no, no, period pieces are not what we're going um, to do. And then you guys <laughs> do this one that resonates so much. <laughs> getting all this. Yeah, I know. And you think that's the reason that you guys sort of took away all the elements that bored you or whatever and and yeah i think so i think so i think we and also i think coming from you know he's greek and i'm australian so we're not really steeped in a that tradition Mm -hmm. of we're not really we weren't hamstrung by knowing too much about those movies or how you know that that sort of type of movie or you know I, i think we were sort of freed up by coming from Greece and Australia and just kind of just making a movie, really. Right. But you could sort of have placed it in modern time. I mean, you could have taken the story and put it somewhere else. I guess so, but I guess the historical aspects makes it so interesting because it does bring the, um, you know, it does sort of, it, it is more epic and you've got more stakes and 
you know, it is quite fascinating. Right, right. And uh, um, of course, you have a long now career in Australia and everything. But I was yeah. I was wondering, what is this award season like? Sort of the Hollywood. What, what is, how is it treating you? Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. It's fun. People really like the movie because okay. you never quite know if that's going to happen. And and then it's good because we all get to hang out. Or you know, everyone on the film got on really well. So. It's nice. It's like a party. That, yeah, it's nice that we, you know, we. It's like we just go and have parties and drinks in like Venice <laughs> and New York and London, so, and see each other every like ten days to go to something. So that that's quite fun because we all get mm-hmm. to hang out and sort of drink and talk and stuff. And I understand that your next project is also with Yorgos. Uh yeah, yeah. I'm just adapting a a book. Is there anything you can say about that? I think I'm allowed to say. <laughs> I think I'm allowed to say it's a it's a period thing, and it's uh, again, yeah, and it's <laughs> no, a dark, not the same period. Very, it's a very different period, and it's a sort of uh, female-driven dark comedy, I suppose. Nice. Well, you guys are stuck in those period pieces yeah, now, right? At the, mo- at the moment, we are. Um, but that's all right. Uh, it's quite fun. Yeah. You get it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fast. Like this, the new ones are really um, sort of interesting, unusual story. So it's sort of fun. And when is that? When do you guys have some sort of deadline on that? I realize you're still writing. Yeah, not really. I mean, August. He just is when he thinks it's ready. He's ready. Mr. McNamara, thank you so much for your time and for your It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much to Tony McNamara. The Favorite is out in theaters in the U.S. and premieres in Sweden here on Friday on January 25th. And very good luck to you the rest of this award season. And thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you find your podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud, or iTunes. And send us a message or your thoughts on Twitter at PodPopCulture. This show was edited by Katrin Lundell, and I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. See you next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.